cool things about Jeff that you may not know was that he was a Russian spy. Or no, 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 not Russian spy, kind of, but it was for U.S. But he's like a Russian linguist. And actually, am I even allowed to say this or am I going to like get shot on the way out of my car? But even had to, he can't even speak about it until how old? For 70 years, he can't even talk about what he did, which is crazy. So that's why I'm trying to be, I'm trying to remain friends with him until he's 102 so I can hear all about it. Um, but he is just, he, he is a great leader for our staff, a great example. He does this thing, Parent You. We equip parents, and I'm like, you know, I'm a pretty new parent, about four years now, and my son's five, which y'all are probably like, wait, that doesn't add up. My, my son's adopted, so we got him when he was a year old. And they're like, this guy's an idiot. He can't even do four and five math. But, um, but I've been a parent for four years, and, man, I'm, you know, here I am. I, I do some stuff in Parent You, but I'm soaking it in just as much as the parents. And he's, he's got a tremendous family. His kids are amazing. His wife's amazing. I'm not just saying that because she's here, but really just a great family for our staff to, to look up to and to model. And so we're excited to have him speaking this week on Colin. So he is a dear friend to me and a great boss. So welcome, Jeff Summers. Well, you all know, usually we bring in the big guns to do Barnabas and speak to you guys, guys who've moved on from ministry to, from youth ministry to be senior pastors. And this year they all said no, so you guys are stuck with me. Um, now really, we were, we were talking as a planning team about this, and, and Mark kind of just threw it out there, hey, you know, none of us have ever really spoken. And I really kind of, I wanted to speak because I feel like the, the life that we have as youth pastors is a very unique call. It's a very unique life. It's a very uh, unique ministry that you're called to. And I don't think everybody can do it. Uh, I don't think everybody's called to do it. And I don't think many people understand it. And that's one of the reasons I think I love the Barnabas so much is because you get a group of us together and everybody in this room to some degree or another knows what it's like, knows what you're going through. They know what it's like to get back from that long, you know, retreat and it's 11 o'clock at night and all the kids pile in and you're waiting there with that last one. You know what I'm saying? And I always tell that kid, hey, I judge parents love on how quickly they pick up their kids. Like you're probably the least loved kid in our whole ministry. Um, just to make sure they never are the last one picked up again. And, uh, but you're dead. You're exhausted. You poured yourself out for the whole weekend, and then you get to take the van back, right? Or something like that. Or clean it out and then take it back. And that level of exhaustion that you have that nobody knows. I mean, if any parent knew that, they would go, can I take the vans back for you? They have no idea, right? They have no idea. And so this calling that we have to me, is, is a huge thing. And so really, we're going to focus on call the whole time. And the reason that we're going to focus on call is because some of you may be like, I know where I'm at. I know I'm called to be here. I know I'm called to youth ministry. But I'm going to tell you what, you will face an issue of calling in your life multiple, multiple times. Whether you stay in youth ministry or not, you will face, am I called to be here? Should I move into an associate pastor's role? Should I, as a girls director, should I, you know, what am I, am I called to this church? What, as a spouse, you and your husband are called together. So whether you signed up for this or not, you're called 
to ministry. Um, you know, I don't know if Cammie had known that I was going to go into ministry. I thought I was going to be an international business guy and make lots of money and fly all over the world. And if she'd have known that I was going to be a pastor, I don't know. I don't know if she'd have said, yeah, I'll sign up for that. But she was called into it just as much as I am. Uh, and, and I had the privilege at Perimeter, we bring in interns. I know a lot of you have interns or temporary staff, and, and they're trying to figure out their call. Am I called to youth ministry at all? Am I called to ministry at all? So we're going to explore all those different avenues of calling over the next three days. And tonight we're going to talk about really why, why me? Okay, why are you called into ministry? Why you? We're going to talk about why youth ministry? Why is, what makes youth ministry different? Why is it? Is it a special calling? And then we're going to talk about why here? Like, why does he have you where you're at? And, and what does that look like? Tomorrow night, we're going, to, we're going to take it a different step and talk about he's calling you to faithfulness instead of success. That's where we're going tomorrow night. The next night, he's going to, we're going to talk about he's calling you to a life of ministry. Ministry life is just different in general. So we're going to talk about that, unpack ministry life. And then the last morning, Thursday morning, if any of you stick around that long, we will be talking about that he's called you to community. All right, he's called you to serve and to work with a team of people, whether that's volunteers or parents or, you know, he's called you to, to put this group of people around you if you're going to survive this calling. Okay, and that's where we're going over the next few days. So the first thing, just jumping in, is, is why me? Why has he called you? How do you know you're called? Okay, because again, you're going to have to struggle with these things over and over again, whether, whether you like where you're at now or not, whether you're new in ministry or not. There is, at seminary, you'll hear this talk of there's an internal and an external call, right? Many of you have ever heard that. You've got this internal call. What is that like? I mean, I always like, you open up the Bible, you want to see the prophets, and you want that to be your thing. You know, I want to be like, Jeff, Jeff, come. I've called you to go. You know, and you want to go and be called, yes, God, I'm here. You know, you want it to be that kind of thing. But he doesn't usually do that, right? There's actually a guy who goes to church here who had that experience, who had like the audible voice of God. And, as, you know, not me, I've never had that. But... What is the internal call? And I had a pastor who was really wise a few, uh, years ago, and I was in between calls, and he was saying, maybe you're called to be here. And, and he said, I find that these things line up. It usually means you should probably move forward with that call. And I've shared these many times over the years. He says, if your desire and your ability and your opportunity line up, if your desire and your ability and your opportunity line up, you are probably called to go there. And I thought that was just really wise because it really matches this internal call and this external call, right? The internal call is, do you have that desire? Do you have the desire to do what this thing? Do you have the desire to work with teenagers? Is that something that you enjoy? Do you like to teach? Do you like to organize things? Do you like to go on retreats? Do you have the desire to do that? Do you have the ability to do that? Okay, is that something that you feel like, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. Now, you got to be careful with that. I was in seminary class, again, years ago, 10 years ago, and I remember they went around spiritual gifts and said, all right, guys, what's your spiritual gift? And there was like 50 guys in the room. Some of you may have experienced this. And they went around, and every single guy in there had the spiritual gift of teaching. Let me tell you what, I sat in preaching class later. They did not all have the spiritual gift of teaching. <laughs> Half of them were horrible, and they had no idea. So sometimes that inner call can be deceiving right? You can think, this is what I'm called to do, and you're really not good at it if it's only internal. You've all watched American Idol, right? A lot of those people cannot sing, but they really think they can. 
So then you have that external call. Are people affirming that in your life? Are they saying, man, when you teach or when you're with kids, it's, I just see you light up. I just see it's amazing. And they affirm that ability in you in that external call. And then do you have the opportunity? Because the bottom line is, no matter how much I may want to go live somewhere, work somewhere, do something, if nobody wants me to do that, I'm not really called to do it, right? We're good reformed people. We know within the providence of God, if I, I could say all day long, I'm called to be the senior pastor of Perimeter Church. But if no one's asking me to be the senior pastor of Perimeter Church, I'm not called to do it, right? I'm not given the opportunity. When those three things line up, though, you might ought to think about taking a step in faith and moving in that direction, knowing again that God can stop you if that's not what he's calling you to do. Now, if you feel like these things are lined up and he's calling you into ministry, then you must move to why youth ministry? Is youth ministry even legitimate? Maybe you have never had someone question that to you in ministry. If you're new to youth ministry, guess what? You will have someone tell you whether or not youth ministry is legitimate. You will have a parent come to you and say that it's not. Do you have an answer for that? You will after tonight, because I have thought through these things, because I have been questioned many times why youth ministry is not even legitimate. Um, what is youth ministry? Can you explain that to people? And I'll say, you know, the first thing, and, and I've just put it, this is my definition, very simply, you are a missionary to a subset of people with particular needs. You are a missionary within the church to a subset of people that have particular needs, that are different, right? Think about it. You have a children's ministry at your church, probably. Why is that? Because if you take all the babies into all the adult Sunday school classes, it's kind of disruptive. They have a unique set of needs. If you're at a large church like ours, you may have a particular ministry to a group of seniors, right? Why is that? Because seniors have particular needs. You could go to a different people group. Maybe you have a ministry to Koreans or Chinese or you know, a Hispanic ministry in your church. That's because they have a particular set of needs. And it has been identified throughout the years that teenagers, which is kind of a subculture that's developed in, our, in the United States, starting around the 1950s, you know, kind of rebel without a cause. You've got James Dean, right? That first movie where the, the, old, the first time you really see teenagers appearing in pop culture. And he was a confused individual, right? It was a, a turbulent time in his life. I just watched it the other day, again, for the first time in years. And it's still... You see him interacting with his friends and getting in fights and being angry and all this. And I don't know why. And we've got, you know, back in the 1920s, we all went to the mines with our parents and worked at eight years old, right? Or you worked alongside your, in the factory. Or for thousands of years, you were in the field with your parents, right? Working. That's not the way it is anymore. We separate everybody out because of our modern educational system. And this subculture has developed called teenagers, all right? Um, 1 Corinthians 9 says this in verse 19 and following. This is Paul to the, to the church at Corinth. For though I am free from all, from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. 
To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Somewhere along the way, people realized that ministering to teenagers is difficult. And they said, we need a group of people that might focus in on this subset and become all things to all people who will try to get in and understand their world and their life and what's going on so that we might actually be able to reach them at such a pivotal time in their life. Acts 17 says this, uh, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown This I proclaim to you. See, Paul was examining the Roman culture. Why? Because he wanted to get an angle. He was examining the things that were going on in their life, and he wanted to get an angle so that he could reach them and speak into at them at a level that they would understand. And that's what we do. That's why you and I look into pop culture. That's why we spend time with kids. That's why we hang out with them. We love them. That's why I watch movies that they watch. So I know what's important to them. That's why I read Entertainment Weekly, so I can see what they're reading and what they're watching so that I can engage them on a level that makes sense. Um, So what is our role? Okay, now, I have put together a set of extremely well-done slides for you. This is a father's. I spent hours and hours on these. And uh, this is a parent and child, right? And in any parent-child relationship, according to the Bible, who is the chief discipler of your children? Me. No, it is the parent, right? The parent is the chief discipler. You've been called, the parents are called to be the one who ministers to and invests in their child. But as, so what is the role, if this is happening, do we even have a role, you could say? Well, I'd say yes. I'd say that our role, what we're being called to by God, is to come alongside that family, right? And we come along, we have a goatee, obviously the youth worker has a goatee, and there's the girl with the cute haircut, that's the other youth worker, and we are, our job is to come alongside this parent and reflect back the things that are being taught from the parents to the child, to reflect Christ, because what they're doing is saying to the covenant child, it's very simple, right? They're saying, is what my parents are saying real? They're telling me this whole Jesus thing, and I'm now in eighth grade, and I'm thinking, this could be crazy, or maybe this is real. Wait a second, there's the crazy guy with the goatee, and the girl with the cute haircut, and their walk with Jesus is very different from my parents, but they're saying the exact same things. This might be real. That's what they're saying in the covenant family, right? And so we're also supposed to have a relationship with the parents, this can be difficult depending on your church or the parents, right? You got like lots of families, but that's the way it's supposed to work. Now, the other thing that often happens is we know there's often a breakdown in the teen years, right? Between that parent and that child. The wavy line is the international symbol for breakdown. You see that? And so they've got this breakdown where they don't talk. You probably have some of those kids in your ministry, right? where they can't stand their parents, or they don't want to be around their parents. And guess what? If, you, if the parents are all really honest, they probably don't want to be around their t- kid either, sometimes, because it's, a, it's difficult. It's a war zone in some of these households. 
And when that happens, we're, our job is still to do the same thing, right? We're to reflect the love of Christ to them and hopefully be some kind of support to the parents and say, hey, I'm here for you. I'm going to, I entered into some of this just this last week. A kid who's in rebellion, parents don't know what to do. And I'm trying to say, well, let us work from our angle because you may not be able to, they may not be able to hear you right now, but we have a different relationship. Maybe we can reach them when you can't. And that's what our role is, okay? And so we do this. And then finally, you see in a a non-Christian kid who comes to your ministry, maybe you don't know the parents, maybe you'll never meet the parents, but you're the only picture of Christ that that child is ever going to see and work with. And so you pour out, you invest, and you teach, and you instruct, and you proclaim Jesus to them, right? This is what the role of the youth worker is in these different environments. Okay, this is what we're called to do. Now, the calling to youth... The thing about it is we're also shepherding and equipping them uh, because they're getting ready to go off to school and a lot of them aren't going to have parents around anymore. And so trying to equip them, especially as they get closer and closer, usually have a lot more contact with parents when they're in junior high, right? And less and less contact with the parents as they get ready to launch because, hey, if I'm trying to get Billy to quit looking at porn and it's a month before he graduates, his parents aren't going to be as much help to me because Billy's parents aren't going to be at University of Georgia. And Billy's got to figure out on his own, how to, how's he going to deal with this? How is he going to develop in his, uh, in his spiritual walk, these disciplines that he needs? How is he gonna, his relationship with Christ going to be strengthened? So the calling to youth, though, is and it, it's the greatest opportunity to work in youth ministry, but it's the lowest seat. All right, let me say that again. The call in youth ministry, to me, is the greatest opportunity, but it's the lowest seat. Now, let me explain that. I think it's the greatest opportunity because youth ministry is the place of the most influence, all right? And I say that because a person is being formed, okay? Their identity is coming in. Who are they going to be as a person? And I take this a lot, and I liken this to a bunch of cement, all right? If you've ever worked with cement or poured, like, concrete at your house, all right? You're getting ready to work the cement. You got it, and it's all wet and everything. And when your kids are little, some of you have little kids, right? And I've, I've got four kids. And when your kids are little, you're, you're investing in them, you're teaching, you're instructing, and they're not giving you a whole lot back, right? I mean, they're, they are listening, but you don't know, is there something spiritual going on? And you start to try to form that person, and you're building into them of who you want them to be. And then sometimes you don't know what's going on because it's like the cement just falls right back down into the tray, right? And you're like, wow, I'm, I'm pouring in, I'm pouring in, but I'm not getting much back. Now, when they get into junior high, they start talking back. They start having their own opinions, their own ideas. And suddenly you're starting to see who they're going to be, right? This form is taking shape, but it's still really blurry. You don't know what's going on. And you start to see them being formed up as this structure form. Now, when you get to high school, there's a lot of structure, they're starting to, well, I want to dress this way, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have blue hair, or I'm going to get a tattoo, or pierce my nose, or whatever. You know, they're, that, and they're forming opinions about this, whether they're acting on it or not. They're starting to dress a certain way. They're starting to hang out with a certain group. And they are deciding who they're going to be as a person. Now, I love this stage the most because, to me, the cement is the most structures there, and they're the most pliable. Now, that works both ways. How many high school students do you have in your ministry that can go 180 degrees one way or the other, right? You can have a kid who's a rock star in your ministry, and you're like, they're just awesome, model, student, 
And three months later, they're sleeping with their, you know, prom just happened, they just lost their virginity, and they're getting, they were drunk. You're like, what? How? You know, that big a swing. And then, of course, the great thing is, three months later, because that cement's so wet, they can swing right back and be madly in love with Jesus. And huge swings can still happen in them in that stage. Now, of course, they move on from here and go to college ministry, a lot of them. You hope they do anyway, right? They go to college ministry. All the campus pastors in college take the credit. They put the finishing touches on all the work that you and I do, all the investment that we make, and then the campus outreach guy does the wedding, right? We know that's what it is. He poured into me. He, and I'm like, where was he when you were a turd? You know, I mean, they, they don't even know. We do all the hard work. God works through us. And then the college minister steps in and takes all the credit and tells them they got to go into campus ministry. Um, but here's the thing. And as I've wondered and thought even about, should I leave youth ministry? Okay. I've thought that at times, various times throughout my career is after college, that cement hardens and adults are very good at hiding their sin right? They can go for years without getting caught in certain sins. And these things have a way, and they are set in their ways. And there's a reason that 80% of people come to Christ statistically before the age of 20, right? And as I talk to senior pastors, what I hear over and over again is, in order to see real life change with adults, you have to use a sledgehammer. You have to break things in people's lives, and they have to be broken before you see that kind of change. We have the opportunity in youth ministry to invest in them while, there's, while the cement's still wet. And I think that is a huge benefit of what we get to do. It's a huge thing of the calling that we get to do because I don't want to do demolition work. Um, now, I said it's the highest calling because we have the greatest opportunity, but it's also the lowest seat. And let me explain what I mean by that. When you're in, when you're in youth ministry, um, you're going to hear over and over again, oh, wow, you get paid to play with teens, right? Have you heard that? When are you, I don't know how many times I've been to a family gathering, like of extended family, and they're like, so when are you going to be a real pastor? Like, when are you, you know, people, what, when are you going to grow up and start doing real ministry like the big boys, you know? You'll go to session meetings, and you will not, ha- you will think you're sitting among equals, but you will not be seen as an equal if you are a pastor, Okay, if you're a a youth worker and you go to staff meetings, you're going to get blamed for everything that's broken in the church, right? Now, if you're lucky enough to have a Boy Scout troop, blame them. That's what I always do. I always blame the Boy Scouts. But, you know, that's going to happen too. You will, the respect level for you will not be high in youth ministry. Uh, You will be overlooked. Um, It's going to happen. And Taking the lowest seat is this, this beautiful story that Jesus tells, a parable. He says he's at a wedding feast. This is in Luke chapter 14. And it says Jesus goes to a wedding feast, and he notices that everybody's vying for the highest seat. And he says to his disciples, he says, when you go to a wedding feast, don't take the highest seat, because if you do, somebody more important than you is going to walk in, and, and then the, the, the master is going to come over and say, you need to give up your seat for this important guy, and you move down, and then you're going to be stuck. You're going to be stuck in the lowest seat. But he says, so when you go, you take the lowest seat. And then if the master wants to move you up, he will move you up to a higher seat. Now, in youth ministry, I think about this almost on a weekly basis. I'm serious. I think about this parable all the time. 
because I'm always wanting to elevate myself. I'm always wanting uh, accolades, or you're always wanting these things. And really, I think that the, it's so valuable for us to say, don't seek that out for yourself. You trust God with that. If he wants to raise you up to a higher seat, he'll do it. He will come, and the master will come, and that opportunity will come, and they'll ask you to move up to a higher seat, and you can take it. Um, few people are going to understand what, what you're called to do. The late nights, the early mornings, the retreats. You know, you're going to get paid to play with kids. And most people don't realize that a lot of you are involved in running a church, right? A youth ministry is just a mini church within a church. It's actually a great proving ground for a senior pastor job because you run discipleship groups, worship teams, mission trips, uh, outreach, right? You do everything. You are running a church, a microcosm. You're teaching on a regular basis. Think of the other ministries in your church. No one else is wearing as many hats as you have to wear in your ministry. Or if you're on a ministry team, you know what that's like, right? You go to those staff meetings and you guys are planning all those different things. And that's huge. Some of you guys in here are called for long-term, okay? It's been 22 years since I took my first youth job. Some of you are called to youth for the long haul. Some of you have been called for a season. Maybe it's not, you don't have the right temperament for this, and God's just using this for you for a brief period of time. It's going to be like a, a stop, a, a place for you just along the side of the road. Uh, some of you, it's not your gift or temperament. Some of you are in this because God is using it to teach you something specific, okay, that you need uh, in your journey and along, along the road. Um, now, why are you called where you're called? And, and what, what, what does God have to say about that, about calling to, to where you are? Um, you think of people who've been called to go to places, you think of like Jonah or Paul or Abraham, you know, and, and God called them to go do these things, especially Abraham. In Genesis 12, starting in verse 1, it says this, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. Now you think about that, and there's really three main points from this passage I want to point out. One is God's the one who calls and tells you to go somewhere right? Every one of you are where you are right now because at some point God said, I want you there. All right? Then he says, I will make of you a great nation to Abraham. He is going to establish the work of your hands where you're at. He's the one who does the work. He's going to establish that. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow night. God is the one who establishes you there when he's called you. And guess what? He can move you whenever he wants. He said to Abraham, I want you to go. And what did Abraham do? He packed up his belongings and he went. Um, like Rip said, I used to be in the military. I was a Russian linguist. And I don't know, I, but I tend to think of the kingdom of God like a military person. I think of myself as I don't have a life of my own. God has called me and I don't think I'm a private anymore. You know, I think maybe I'm like a second lieutenant level. Okay, Randy Pope, like our senior pastor, general, for sure. If you met the guy, you'd be like, general. Okay, I may be a second lieutenant, and I don't feel like my life is my own. I really feel like if God says to me, Jeff, you got to pack up your family, and you got to move. 
and I want you to go to North Dakota. No. I know. Well, <laughs> but if I'm called, you're called. Um, I don't feel like I have a choice in that matter. I don't feel like I get to tell God no. I mean, I'm, I might tell him no. I might plead with him for a while, but he does that. He can do that, and he does do that. Some of you are on your second church. Some of you, if you're in this room, if, you're, if you keep coming to Barnabas and you're in it long enough, you will have one of those experiences that are tough, where maybe you go somewhere and it doesn't work out quite the way that you thought it would. Um, I have been at six different churches on staff in 22 years, okay? And I've left a lot of them because I wanted to, and I've left a lot of them because I had to. And one of them was 100 members, one was 70 members, one was 3,000, 350, 1,000, and now 5,000. Okay? I have had, I've been there two years, three years, four years, and seven year spans. I have been all alone on staff. I've had just one intern. I've had a part-time admin. I've had a staff of four, and now I have a staff of 10. I have had no budget. I've had no facility. I've had the gymnatorium, one of my favorites. I have worked out of a trailer, and now I have a rock wall. (laughs) Right? Um, What I want to say to you is when you're called to go somewhere, prepare to stay for life, but be ready to move when God calls. Your best years of ministry, according to statistics, are year 7 to 15. This is my first year I've been somewhere seven years. And I am seeing that year seven's pretty sweet. Okay? So it's really nice if you can be somewhere that long. Um, when you're presented with an opportunity, even if you're comfortable where you are, pray about it. Take the time to pray about it, even if it makes no sense. Guess what? God calls you to do things that are incredibly counterintuitive sometimes. Right, Mark? He calls you to do things that are counterintuitive. Um, I think of a short story. When I went to Charlotte, I, my wife was pregnant with our first baby, Tirza, is our oldest daughter. She is now 15. And we were getting ready to have our first child. I was moving to Charlotte to go to seminary. And I had worked already at two different churches, a church plant and a small like country club church of around 100. And I thought, okay, God's calling me to go to seminary. That call is clear. And I knew that I could take a job in Charlotte. Like any of you that work in seminary towns, you know, usually you can get a job somewhere And they'll help pay for school and pay you some on the side. And I was thinking, I'll do something like that. So I went and interviewed at a church that was just like the church I had worked at. Like 30 kids, 100 to 150 members. I knew the church. I mean, the church was even designed the same way. Like the same designer had designed the building. And I was like, okay, I could go there. I totally qualified for this job. I could do it. My wife's getting ready to have a baby. And then I went to Christ Covenant in Charlotte and talked to their youth staff, and I walked in, and the facilities were like, you know, ooh, you know, like this. I was like looking around, and I can't believe that. I've never seen anything. And they had a big staff team, and I said, I've never worked with a staff team. And I sat down with the guy, and he said, well, yeah, we'd love to have you for two years, and you can raise your own support, 100%. And I was like, well, my wife's getting ready to have a baby. This doesn't sound like it makes very much sense for me at all to come move to seminary. My wife, we felt, was called to stay home and raise 100% of our support and get paid nothing to work for you for two years. Like, that sounds retarded. (laughs) 
And I got in the car and Kami and I drove because we were driving back to the Knoxville area where we were living at the time. And we were about two hours in the car praying and talking, talking and praying. And I was like, doggone it, I am called to go work at that church. I am called to raise my support and have a kid with no job and learn because they have things to teach me. I'm not going to learn anything at that other place. I already know how to run that youth ministry, but I have no idea how to run a big youth ministry with a multiple staff. How in the world can I do that? So I did that, and we stepped out in faith. And for two years, we lived, we raised $32,000 my first year in seminary, and my second year, we raised $34,000. And my wife stayed home with our kid. We bought a house. We rented out half our house, and we did things that made no sense to anybody. But we felt called to do it. Now, the crazy thing about that story is not only how God provided in something that was totally counterintuitive, but when I came here years later, I interviewed for this job. I got the job. I was with my boss like a year later. And he's like, oh, yeah, we never would have hired you if Christ's covenant hadn't been on your resume. Because we knew that you knew how to do big church. And he's right. I would have had no clue how to do any of the things that I've had to do here if I hadn't stepped out in faith, even though at the time that made zero sense in the world's eyes. God calls us sometimes to move and to do things that make no sense. He may call us because he has things for us to learn there like he did for me at Christ's covenant. He may do it. He may call you because he's already used what he brought you there to do. Maybe he brought you there for a specific purpose and those two or three years are up. And now he needs to move you somewhere else. He may call you there because he needs your gift mix somewhere. You may have that specific thing that that church needs, and God knows what it is. And so he's going to be like, boop, you need to move over here now. Why me? Why youth? Why here? Why, why is calling so important? Why are we going to talk about that? There's going to be times that your call is the only thing that you have to hold on to. There are going to be those times. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, I've worked harder and been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak that I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin that I do not inwardly burn? What is it that allowed Paul to continue doing what he was doing when he faced those things that are more horrendous than anything you and I will ever face, his call. He knew he was called to be an apostle. And when it got hard, that's what he had to cling to. You and I aren't going to face anything like that, but you will be beat down if you stay in ministry. You will be dissed. And what I mean by that is you're going to be discouraged. You are going to be discounted you are going to be dismissed, and you are going to be disrespected. It will happen. 
in student ministry. I remember I got the phone call from an elder who was a friend of mine on staff, and he was calling to ask me to look for a new call. My pastor was leaving, who was a mentor of mine, who had invested in me and invested in me, and before he left, I said, hey, how about I become an associate pastor instead of an assistant pastor? And if, if you're new to the PCA, an associate pastor is hired and fired by the congregation. An assistant pastor can be hired and fired by the, the session. And so the congregation voted for me to become an associate pastor. That was like an embrace from the whole congregation. We want you. We want you to be here. We want you to be here for the long haul. I'm like, job security, this is awesome. One year into the new pastor, I'm on vacation with my wife. The pastor calls a session meeting when I'm out of town. He had already gone around individually and worked on each one of them, convincing them that the number one pathway to his success was for me to leave. Because he felt like I wasn't a team player on his team. And really, he was eyeing my salary because the church was in trouble. And we had a large, thriving youth ministry with a large staff. And just by getting rid of me, he could solve a lot of his problems. Now, he didn't know that I'd poured out my life for that church. He didn't know the, the late nights. He didn't know the early mornings, the tears that I had shed, the prayers that I had prayed for those kids. He didn't know that my wife had worked tirelessly in the children's ministry, developing the curriculum, that she had pulled strings and helped them find a pathway to who was going to lead the women's ministry by saying, have you considered this person? And just kind of pulling strings. And she was really a mover and shaker behind the scenes. They didn't know that. They didn't know that my best friends had moved to Florida to live next door to me. They didn't know that all my relationships were there. All I wanted to do was serve there. That those people were my people. And I knew that my senior pastor wasn't going to last very long. Things were in trouble, he wasn't doing very well, and I was just trying to keep my head down and stay out of trouble. But God called me to move. He called me to go. And I saluted, and I said, yes, I will. Because this life is not my own. It's not my job to do that. And within eight months... The senior pastor was fired, and I was the only casualty for that staff to leave. So calling is going to be one of those things that's important to all of us, and that's why we're going to talk about it, and that's why it's important that you know why you, that you know why here, and that you know why youth. All right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us. It is a high calling and the lowest seat. And you love us. And we have the privilege of investing in the lives of students and coming alongside families and parents. And Lord, we just thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for that call. Would you affirm that in us? Would you guide us and direct us and pour your grace and mercy and love into us? Pour encouragement into us this week. Give us energy and vitality and fill us with your spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen.